0: Um, If you haven't turned there yet, I'd like you to turn to the uh, book of Joshua in the Bible. So, we have the first five books of the Bible, and after the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then that book that comes after that is the book of Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 3, and I'm going to uh, read through the entire chapter with you. This is, a, this is a, a fascinating stage for the people of God as they are facing a new juncture in their life. If you look at the Bible you see that there are a number of occasions where God's people face pivotal times in their lives where they they are, are facing uh, sometimes a dire situation or an uncertain situation like the uncertainty that we face in the new year and um the, the people don't know what's going to happen, but they do know that they need to place their trust in the Lord, whatever befalls them. And that's we're going to be concerning one of those junctures here from Joshua chapter 3. So let's um, begin reading Joshua 3, verse 1. In fact, um, let's do this because you're going to probably want, sometimes you, you, you jump into a narrative and there's some events that precede that let me let me explain what's going on here and then i'll I'll reiterate it uh, briefly in the sermon itself god's people were in slavery if you recall for uh, 430 years in in egypt then god through the hand of moses delivered his people from slavery in egypt brought them into a desert brought them into a wilderness in order that they could do what they were not able to do in a proper way in egypt and that is to worship the lord Okay. So they were in the wilderness, and then they wandered, and I'm not going to get into all the reasons why for this, but they wandered in this desert, this wilderness for 40 years, and then they finally came to the point of arriving on what's called the plains of Moab, that was the last place where they would be before entering into the promised land, a land that was promised to their forefather Abraham 500 years before and now God is fulfilling the promise to his people to go into the promised land Moses as the leader of God's people has died and now his assistant his successor is a man named Joshua a man of faith and um, God says to Joshua Joshua as I was with Moses You have to believe that I am with you, and I'm with your people. And so I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I have given this land to you and the people of God, and you have to go in that land, and you have to conquer that land. That's what I want you to do. So Joshua believes that, and then what we find is that God places that before the people of Israel too, and God says, As I said to Joshua, so I say to you as well, I want you to believe in me, I want you to trust in me, and I want you to obey me. And what do the people say? Yes, Lord, everything you you say, we will do. We're gonna do that. So two spies are sent out to spy out the the promised land in order to do a bit of reconnaissance work because they gotta figure out a military strategy in order to take over that land. So two spies are sent out, they come back, eventually, Uh, after being saved by a woman named Rahab, I'll leave all the details of that out, and they come back and they say to the people, you know what, we can take over that land. There's giants in that land, but we can take over that land. Let's do it. And now the people of God have gathered together and they need to cross a river in order to get into the promised land. What befalls them in the promised land? They don't know yet. All they know is that they got to, like we in the new year, we got to move forward. Okay, yeah, that's the background. All right. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, I'm going to stop there just a moment, that term the ark of the covenant is used 10 times in this passage so you can't understand this passage without understanding the ark okay i'm going to describe that a little bit later on as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the lord your god being carried by the levitical priests then you shall set out from your place and follow it yet there shall be a distance between you and it about two thousand cubits in length do not come near it in order that you may know the way you are to go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites. The Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on the ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. That's where the chapter ends. All right. Fascinating thing. You know, it is, um, it is a beautiful thing to be a Christian. It really is. It's a, it's a, it's a comforting thing because, because, because a Christian not only looks at life from a horizontal perspective, in terms of himself or herself and other people around him or her. But the Christian most fundamentally views reality not just from a horizontal perspective, but especially from a vertical perspective, in terms of one's relationship with God. And and that means everything. I know it's a very simple point, but it means everything because when you enter into a new year, it's not just you entering into a new year or understanding that there are people around you, even people that you know and love that are entering into the new year with you. But when you embrace a vertical perspective, then you understand that it is really not just you and others who enter into the new year, but God enters into the new year with you, behind you, most importantly, Before you. And I want you to think about that here this afternoon. What it would be like to just kind of cut out the vertical perspective. So it's just you. Entering to the new year. With everything that is unknown. Because we always say, right? The new year is foggy indeed. Think what it would be like to enter that new year. Without an understanding of the fact that God goes with you. And that if you embrace Christ by faith. That it is Jesus who goes with you. And who has engraved you in the very palms of his hands, and he will never let you go from his grip. See, that's, that's gospel, right? That's, that's good news. That's good news. We look at that good news here this afternoon. All right. So, um, you know, as I said, let's, let's get into a little bit of the, the background here again. Um. The people of God are on the plains of Moab, as I said. After being in uh, slavery in Egypt for 430 years, they've they've gone through a wilderness wandering for about 40 years, It was very difficult, and now finally they get to the point of inheriting what is called the Promised Land. It is known as the land of it's known by other things, land of Canaan. Uh, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a productive land. It is a beautiful land. It's it's everything that the people of Israel did not have. In Egypt, which wasn't their country, they didn't have it in the wilderness with all the difficulties that were involved in that. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a long time. In fact, they have been waiting for this for about 500 years, half a millennium. Because that promised land was a land that was promised to their forefather Abraham. Remember that? And God said to Abraham and wife Sarah, you don't have kids now, but I'm going to give you the ability in your old age to conceive. And those children are going to have children, and those children are going to have children. And over time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a great nation around you, and it's your descendants that are going to have the opportunity to enter into the promised land. But here's the thing that God said to his people all throughout the years. He said, when it comes time for you to enter into that land, I'm not going to hand it over to you on a silver platter. You're going to have to fight for it. Because the fact of the matter is, there are a number of ites in the land. You go, what do you mean, ites? Did you notice that? What is that? Uh, verse, uh, Verse 10. Right where we have mentioned various tribes that are part of that land. Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites. So you have all these tribes are in the land. So, so the, the thing here, this is what I'm saying, when they come to the promised land, it's not like the land is empty and just waiting for them so all they have to do is go in and start building their houses and plant their crops and their fruit trees and all of that. No. There are peoples in that land, and here's the thing that we need to understand about the peoples: they are, they are hostile. They are numerous. They outnumber the Israelites by a long shot. Um, they are not only hostile, numerous, but there are, they are big. There are giants in the land, literal giants in the land, um, and. Also this, probably the, one of the more important things, is um, they are a technologically superior people. Historically, this occurs during the time of what we call the Iron Age. So the ites of this land, the various tribes of this land, at least a number of them had what we call iron chariots. Now for us today, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but back then it was. And the people of Israel didn't have any of that. You know, the people of Israel were just a, a, a ragtag group of people didn't have much of a fighting history. Everything was going against them when they entered into the promised land, except one thing. Vertical, they had the Lord. Well, that's everything, right? Sometimes they didn't think that way because they're always outnumbered, but they had the Lord. But here's the thing. The most immediate challenge as they prepared to move forward, the most immediate challenge at this point was a river that separated the plains of Moab from the promised land. What's the name of that river? The river's name is Jordan. The river Jordan. Well, with all of this opposition and all this challenge that lies before them, enter in Joshua. And Joshua was not just any man. Remember we looked at acting like men this morning? He was a man's man because he was a spiritual man. I'm not saying he was a man's man because he had big biceps or a huge chest or anything. He was a man's man because he was a spiritual man because he was a man of simple faith. And remember he and this other individual named Caleb, while they were in the wilderness, um, initially spied out the land, 12 spies in all. Ten spies came back and said, there's giants in the land. We can't go in the land because if we go in the land, we'll be destroyed. And Joshua and Caleb were the man's men. And they said, you know what? Uh, Yeah, we're outnumbered. and Yeah, there are giants in the land. But you know what? We can take it because the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. So, Joshua is now leading the people. This Joshua, successor of Moses, and what Joshua does to move on the story. Joshua calls all his commanders together, and Joshua says, "Now is the time to cross the Jordan River and let's go into the land." So Joshua calls the commanders; the people gather together, and then there is this piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant, which I says figures prominently in this passage. It's um. And, and I'll explain it just a little bit in just a moment. But before the commanders, before the people enter into the promised land, Joshua instructs the Levitical priests to take that Ark of the Covenant, which they are to carry by poles and rings. Because remember, they were not to touch that Ark of the Covenant. And they were, this Ark of the Covenant with the priests were to go, and this is a very important point, they were, they were to go before the people. Look at verses 3 and 4. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, okay, this is what Joshua is saying to the people of Israel. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Don't go before, wait for them. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about two cubits in length, approximately, roughly, about 2 they're going to be two kilometers ahead of you. And you say, why are they going to be two kilometers ahead? Well, you've got to realize that the people of Israel at this point are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So, they, so, so really what Joshua wants is that if the people of Israel here, and you go, let's say, you know, about 20 feet that way, and imagine a couple of kilometers, there's so many people that you can't get too close to the Ark of the Covenant. Meaning that Joshua always, he always wants the people to have their sights set on the Ark. Don't take your eyes off the Ark. That's how important it is. So it's going to be about 2,000 uh, cubits in length ahead of you. Do not come near it, that is the Ark of the Covenant, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Right? So again, the people are to keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Now what do you know about the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, there are, are so many things to say in regard to this. But here, here's, here's this, for the sake of the kids... The Ark of the Covenant was, to put it very simply, a holy box of sorts. So it was uh, about four feet long, about two and a half feet wide, two and a half feet deep. It was covered with gold and it had a solid gold top to it called the mercy seat or the seat of propitiation. I'm not going to get into all the meaning of that right now. But the most important thing for our purposes uh, this afternoon is that on top of the Ark of the Covenant there were two angels, solid gold angels called cherubim, and they faced each other. And the most important thing that we need to understand at this point is that that Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God with his people. Now we know that God is present everywhere. We talk about one of the attributes of God being the uh, omnipresence of God. That is, God is, is everywhere, but God was specially located there between the cherubim, on the mercy seat, between the angels of the Ark of the Covenant. So here's the point. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God with his people. So that wherever the Ark went, That's where God went. More on that in just a moment. But for now, notice that the officers told the people that the ark had to go before them. Now, we might ask the question why did that ark of the covenant have to go before the people? Why didn't the people, in light of what Joshua talked to them about in terms of trusting the Lord, why didn't they just say, you know what, we're just going to trust the Lord and Forget the Ark of the Covenant. We're just going to go up to the Jordan River and we're going to cross that Jordan River and we're going to trust God for the rest as we go into the Promised Land. Because you see, um, you know, you have, you have pioneers years ago who heading out west would face treacherous rivers of sorts like the Jordan River. And what they would do is they would, they would stall for just a moment, they would assess the river, and then they would make the crossing. And sometimes it was a very dangerous crossing. And sometimes the pioneers lost their lives. Or sometimes they lost oxen or cows or whatever that were leading the, 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 the wagon trains of the individuals. So that's what we have here, right? It could be that things were very dangerous, but they could have just trusted the Lord. So why did the Lord have the Ark of the Covenant go before them? And the reason for that is because he wanted to teach his people a very simple lesson. A lesson in faith. Look at verses 9 and 10. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivazites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. He will drive them out. What is Joshua saying? When you go in that land... God's going to fight for you. He's going to be with you, and he's going to fight. With you and for you. And then Joshua then ordered the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant with poles and rings ahead of the people, and then he made this promise. When that Ark of the Covenant with the priest goes before you, at some point, the priests are going to put their feet in the water with the Ark of the Covenant. And when that happens... I promise you this, the waters are going to stop flowing, they're going to gather up in a heap, and you will pass through that Jordan River on dry ground. Verses 14 through 16. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, also known today as the Dead Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now, I want to I draw your attention to something. Um, and uh, we, uh, there it is. I want you to take a look at uh, the latter part of verse 15. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. You know what you call that? It's called a parenthetical statement. A parenthetical statement. Now, um, it's a statement that is front-ended and this. The sentence ends with what we call parentheses. Now, parentheses, a parenthetical statement, is is an interruption of sorts to help us focus in on something that we need to pay attention to. What do we need to pay attention to in regard to the Jordan River? It says this, Now, the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. What does that tell us? Why is that important, that parenthetical statement? Because it tells us that there is great opposition with that river. This is not just a smooth flowing river that the people just have to cross. No, at this point in the season, it's a raging river. Um, the Jordan River, here, here's a little background on it. The Jordan River was about 100 feet wide, and in various places it was three feet, anywhere from 3 feet to, uh, to 12 feet deep. And it was, it was typically a rather gentle river, although it was also in a floodplain. So during the springtime, what would happen is that, because of the additional rain, sometimes that river on a floodplain would actually flood, and the waters could be rather treacherous, and it would carry with it various forms of brush and tree, tree, tree limbs and so forth. And it could be a very dangerous river. So when you, when you think of the Jordan River, I mean, it, you can't think of it in this way identically, but when you, when you think of a river that can, can change its face, think of like the Chilliwack River, not far from here. Chilliwack River, very beautiful river, and you know that during the summertime, if you go to the Chilliwack River, it's always a flowing river, but the waters are not always very high. In fact, this past summer, the waters of the Chilliwack River were rather low. But you know that that can change very much so in the springtime because of the spring rains and also because of the snow melt and that beautiful Chilliwack River can be a very dangerous thing indeed. And it carries with it all kinds of branches and various forms of foliage that can embed itself in the rocks uh, above the water so that once the water starts flowing, what is very dangerous is that if you're in that water, that turbulent water, and you get sucked down into the current, you can get caught into those branches and so forth, and you can drown. Um, before I left Linden, after serving there for about seven years, around 2004, that's when we left, very shortly after that, there was an individual, uh, a family, where one of the sons uh, went swimming with his friends in Nooksack River. It was a springtime. It was kind of not a, not a real smart thing to do, and he did. And that's exactly what happened. He got caught in the current. He got caught under some, some uh, rock and foliage and so on. And the poor young man drowned. See, it can happen. So the, the reason why I bring this out is because this is exactly what the Israelites are facing with the Jordan River. Now, we might, you know, the, this, this, this story entertains a lot of questions for us. Like, well, why didn't God have his people, you know, go over that river another time of the year? <laughs> why not during the summertime? Or sometime when the waters were rather docile and they could cross over very easily. And I submit to you um, this afternoon that this was, in the sovereign purposes of God, very intentional. He wanted His people to face this obstacle, the river, to show them that when He passed before them, in terms of the Ark of the Covenant, that it would be His power and His grace that would get them over the hump, so to speak, and into the the promised land. And you know what? what? That's, isn't that what God did sometime before with Moses? Remember the, the people of Israel were caught in a bind and they were facing the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh were coming after them and, and they didn't know what to do because if they knew, if they tried to escape in this direction or that direction, it would, it would go. they would go into the desert and they would be hounded down and they would be killed. If they went in this direction, they would go right into the armies of Egypt and they would be destroyed by the armies of Egypt and they knew that all what was before them was the red sea so they were stuck absolutely stuck and you know what happens when you and i are stuck in a certain situation especially when you're a christian what do you do you cry out to the lord don't you in ways that you don't when times are going well but you cry out to god this is why god sometimes puts us down low it's never by chance sometimes he puts us down low so that we wake up and we cry out to him And that's what the people of Israel did. And so what did God do? Through the hand of Moses, God parted the waters of the Red Sea so that the people could pass through on dry ground. That's exactly exactly what we find going on here in our passage. So we come to the end of the story, and he asks, well, all right, what does this really have to do with us? I mean, honestly. In some ways, I think it's rather obvious it has everything to do with us. Because next year, we're facing a new year, right? I mean, think about it. It's less than 12 hours away. What are we going to face? Rivers? Floodwaters? Obstacles? Life? Death? You know, God's people have always faced these things, and God has always, always gone on before them. Do you notice the refrain of this passage? (laughs) You know, Joshua says, on behalf of the Lord to the people, keep looking at the Ark of the Covenant that goes before you. Verse 11, behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, it shows his sovereignty, is passing over before you into the Jordan. Well, those words are important. Joshua doesn't say the Lord's presence goes alongside of you, which is comforting enough. Or the Lord's presence is going to be behind you. So the Lord says, just march forward. I'll be behind you every step of the way. God is everywhere. God is on either side of us. God is before us. But that's not the language that is used here. God goes before his people. And he always goes before his people. Not just here, but also as they go into the promised land. So one last thing, if you happen to have your Bibles, take a look at Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Same thing. The Lord, it's not like the Lord says, I'll go on before you, and then as soon as they go over the Jordan River, God forgets about them. Uh uh. 5 verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, "Uh, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And notice the guy doesn't answer him. He says, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Many commentators believe that this commander of the Lord's army is our ultimate commander-in-chief, the pre-incarnate Christ. And Christ is before his people. And he says, I am the one who is for you. I'm the holy God. Take off your sandals. For you are standing on holy ground. He doesn't even say, you know what? I just want to remind you that, you know what? As the pre-incarnate Christ, as God has promised to be with you, so I will be with you, and now, okay, follow me. We're going to the promised land. He doesn't even say any of that, but you understand that implicitly, don't you? That he's the commander of the Lord's army, and that God always goes before us, and God always fights for us. I love those words of of Jesus on two separate occasions where, as he is about to leave his disciples and ascend into heaven, do you remember what he says? He says, I will not leave you as orphans, for I will give you my spirit who will be with you and who will be in you forever. And then later on, before Jesus actually ascends into heaven, one of the last words he says to his disciples is this, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So I kind of go back to the beginning where I talk about the horizontal and the vertical. When someone does not embrace Christ, all they got is the vertical. When someone embraces Christ, when they become a Christian, they become a follower of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden the horizontal is added by the vertical. In fact, that vertical takes precedence in their life and they realize, you know what, at any time in my life, but especially now as we face the new year, God is with me, and he will never let me go. So, Christ goes before us, and like our ancestors, he promises to perform great wonders as we place our faith in him. Great wonders, yes, even in the midst of sorrows. Great wonders, sometimes in the midst of challenges and fears, but also great wonders that encourage us to keep pressing on. Where? to the promised land. Our promised land is not a physical piece of land called the land of Canaan. Our promised land is glory. And the Lord says as you go into the new year, you're one step closer to glory. And that's going to be your final destination. Look forward to that and know that every step of the way, I am with you. I am not just alongside of you or back of you, but I go before you. And that my friends, is the comfort of the blessing of the Lord as we go into the new year. Yeah? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that we're not alone. Thank you that we are not homeless. Thank you that we are not orphans. But Lord, thank you that through Jesus and faith in Jesus we are adopted into your family and you call us your own That is so wonderful, and it is so comforting. And we know that when we are yours, oh, you will never let us go. In fact, we will be yours for eternity. Help us to keep that in mind, Lord, as we face a coming year. And Lord, as no doubt some of us will experience... We're going to face some real hardships in this coming year. Not to sound negative, Lord, we, 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 entr- we trust that you give us great blessings and great answers to prayer, but they're going to be challenges, Lord, for we live in a fallen world. Help us to remember that even in the midst of those challenges, those floodwaters of the Jordan, so to speak, that you have not left us alone, but you are with us, and you go before us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.